1: Vacation sex is always irresistible. Gwyneth Paltrow. I could make it all about them and not have to focus on my own problems. <laughs> and Seth Rogen. <laughs> so if you're wondering what your favorite celebrity or I would do in your situation, just listen and subscribe to Anna Ferris is Unqualified. Free on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or
0: wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast hey helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com
1: Hello and welcome to the Radio Times Doctor Who podcast, brought to you by the team behind RadioTimes.com. Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast. My name's Hugh Fullerton. My name is Morgan Jeffrey. And this week, we are talking all things Flux. And you might be thinking, but you talk about Doctor Who Flux every week in this podcast. And that's true. But this week, we are talking about the series as a whole, because we've seen all six episodes. The universe has been saved. You know, lots of, you know, alien races were wiped out in a way that was bad, and some in a way that was fine. Um, and generally speaking, half the universe is still destroyed, and we're just not going to think about it. We're just not going to mention that. Uh, yeah. So this week we are obviously just going over everything, the whole series of flux, um, and you know, talk about our reaction to it. We've reviewed the individual episodes, but how did it hang together as a whole? Uh, that's what we're asking. Uh, but before that. Uh, As per, we have our Who News section, because obviously at the end of The Vanquishers, there was some new details released for the Doctor Who New Year's special. We didn't talk about them too much last week, uh, so we'll talk about them now. Uh, We now know that the New Year's special is called Eve of the Daleks, um, and uh, I've checked the cast list. Uh, Eve, unfortunately, isn't a character uh, who's just really friendly with the Daleks. Uh, You know what? Could be a twist.
0: (laughs) I'm, pre- I'm presuming it's an evil of the Daleks pun, which I'll, I'll admit I didn't get straight away. But when I did, I was very happy about it.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe Eve is one of the Daleks. You can't rule it out. <laughs> um, yeah, we know it's that. We know it's set on New Year's Eve, uh, broadcast on New Year's Day, admittedly, but still um, we'll allow it. And um, yeah, it's a time loop. Uh, story which is quite interesting in the realm of groundhog day and more recently palm springs and you know like the video game death loop um it's a kind of repeating thing we're not quite sure how it will work but based on the trailers and what they've said it seems like they're in this storage facility with the daleks um executioner daleks as we've learned from the latest doctor who magazine they've got these uh quite special little weapons these you know uh tommy gun type things and yeah every time they're killed or they reach a certain point before, I think before they reach midnight to make it New Year's Day, um, the whole thing resets and they have to face Daleks again and get exterminated by them again. Which explains why in the trailer you see them, you, know, you see the Doctor, Dan and Yaz, get exterminated.
0: Um, it, also, it, al- it also feels like um, an area that Doctor Who hasn't really explored that much, which as a show that features time travel, the time loop idea is one that it hasn't really delved into all that much which is surprising when you think about it
1: yeah i know what you mean i was thinking that like it's sort of uh, especially because i feel like it's a bit in vogue again recently it does feel like the kind of perfect uh sort of story for them to do it's also you know lest we forget quite a covid friendly story uh because well limited sets limited sets well it genuinely is because before series 13 you know chris chibnall said the reason they did it so serialized was because otherwise it would be a series of episodes in pretty much single locations with limited cast so they decided to do the serial which means they kind of did that but instead of like They spread those sets out so you know they reused the Lupari ship and you know they went to the Temple of Atropos a few times and they kept the same cast, you know, so they could move them around a bit. Um, whereas with this special, we're kind of seeing the other side of what you could have done with Doctor Who, which is you know, kind of not quite a bottle episode, but you know, a chamber piece or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's quite interesting to see that. I think it sounds really cool. Um, it's apparently a bit of a romantic comedy, according to Doctor Who magazine, uh, which I assume is between. Ashley B's character, who I think is called Sarah and a Johnny Salmon's character who is called Nick. Um, so yeah, that should be very interesting.
0: Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing that, uh, not too long now, which is cool. I mean, you're, you're, assu- you're assuming that that's who the romance is between. I mean, Tasman fans are, are knocking on your door right now saying that's not true. necessarily Hugh, not necessarily. That's true. That's true. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, based
1: on what <laughs> we've seen in series 13, you know, who I knows? Mean. All bets are off. Um, Speaking of uh, Yaz, I think there's another bit of Who news from RadioTimes.com that you wanted to talk
0: about. There is indeed a little bit of exclusive news, which is we ran a poll on uh, RadioTimes.com asking, obviously, Jodie uh, Whittaker is leaving Doctor Who. Uh, do you, did fans want Yaz and or Dan uh, to stick around uh, after she leaves, to stick around for the new Russell T Davies era? Um, and it was very, very close um it, it, it very very close indeed um over fourteen thousand votes were cast um and there was in the end only 35 votes um dividing uh people who wanted them both to stay and people who wanted a complete cast refresh but in the end um it, it came out that fans wanted them both to stay by a narrow margin um and you know i don't think it's any any slight on either of those actors or characters. If people say they want you know, a, you know, a, a fresh cast, they want Doctor Who to kind of relaunch with new Doctor, new companions. Um, that's always an exciting time for the show. But the majority, uh, just said that they wanted Yaz and Dan to, to stay, which is, uh, which is interesting and, and just goes to show how well that. That trio has gone down, Dr. Yaz and Dan in, in Doctor Who Flux. Um, and there was also uh, some quotes that we ran from uh, Mandip Gill. We spoke to Mandip Gill um, and talked to her about her future on the show. Um, and she also made it clear that she uh, would potentially be interested in, in sticking around. She said they don't need a whole new cast every time uh, and and was was up for the idea. So you can read more about that on radiotimes.com. You can indeed.
1: Um, yeah, so... Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, I would imagine there's still going to be new companions, um, because that seems likely. But you never know. I mean, they haven't started filming um, the next series yet, if indeed it is a series and not just specials or something like that. So who knows what we're going to see? Um, Certainly not us, not these guys who do a Doctor Who podcast, who you might expect to have some ideas. But no, we do not. We are as in the dark as anybody else. Um, But yeah. So yeah, that was Who News. So some good stuff about the Newsday special, and you know the future of Yaz and Dan. Now moving on the uh, exciting review portion of this week's podcast. Yes, uh, we are looking at all of Series Thirteen, all of Flux, all is Flux in all of Flux. Um, because yeah, we've been breaking it down episode by episode, but now we can look at it as a whole, as a sort of serial story more than ever. You can kind of rank this series as a whole, rather than just the, you know, it's individual parts because it was always a serialized story. And, you know, on that basis, I just, I'm just going to throw it to you, Morgan. What did you think?
0: Well, I, I liked it. Um, (laughs) I, I liked some of it more than other parts, which I think has been made clear through the, the weekly individual reviews. Um, I th- thinking back over this, like I think the most interesting thing about looking back on the series as a whole, as opposed to reviewing individual episodes, is sort of thinking about where where do your perceptions or where do your appreciations of an episode uh, change, either you know do the, do, for better or for worse. And I think th- looking back, something like the Halloween Apocalypse, Chapter One of Flux, which I was not hugely enamoured with when I first watched it, I feel like that would probably I, I must admit I haven't sort of gone back and watched it. Um, since but just when I think about it now I feel more fondly towards it than I did at the time I think because you know it's it it was the first chapter it was it was my frustrations with it at the time were there's a lot going on and it's quite frenzied and it's all set up and no payoff but now we have the payoff you can you can see it in context um and so it 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 works better for me and things like I didn't feel like I I felt like it was lacking a, a decent threat you have Carvanista essentially as the, the antagonist of that episode. And I think I mentioned in the in the previous podcast, I di- that didn't really fly for me. But then it, wh- you get to know that character more throughout the series. And so I'm kind of, that that clicks with me in, in a way it didn't on, on first watch. So um, overall, a thumbs up for Flux. As I say, some of it, some chapters stronger than others. Um, and I think, like I say, the most interesting thing is how certain episodes may have um risen or fallen in my estimations, based on how they fit into the overall whole. But um but what about you?
1: I feel similarly to be honest. Like for example, episode five, um, Survivors of the Flux was probably my least favorite episode because I felt like it was just moving the pieces around for the finale. But when you think of it as, you know, an act of a larger story, you know, it doesn't matter as much. If it was one, I mean, it would be a very, very long film, but you know, if it was a film, if that was sort of section of the film existed, you wouldn't, you know, mind that much because that's what it's there for. Um, And yeah, I think looking at that, that episode, I can kind of see like, oh yeah, it was doing this and this and this. So then actually that's, you know, that's okay. Um, I do think the flip side to this though, is that, I was, you know, I've said this in I've wrote a review on RadioTimes.com, which you can look at now, but I do wonder whether any individual episodes of Flux are gonna be sort of impacted in terms of rewatching. So for example, you know, for series 12, if I wanted to go back and watch Fugitive of the Jadoon on its own, I could. Or if I wanted to go and watch, you know, the haunting of Villa Diodati, even though they have these sort of serialized elements, you know, they are sort of also standalone stories. You know, famously best episodes in series history, you know, things like Blink, you know, um the Empty Child, Doctor Dances, like you know, you can rewatch these as their own thing. With Flux, Village of the Angels, definitely a highlight, amazing episode. You could probably rewatch that one and sort of appreciate it on its terms. But you know, are you really going to rewatch like Survivors of the Flux or Once Upon Time for their yeah. own merits? Because they're so tied in to what's happening with the whole story. Like I, I think it's a very unique thing. Because say with like an episode show like Line of Duty. You wouldn't be like, oh, I'm really going to go back and watch series three, episode four. Like that yeah. would just be an insane thing to do. Like there's no other TV shows really where you do this beyond something like Christmas specials, um, you know, cartoons, maybe, you know, where where they do have these sort of self-contained stories. But yeah, I think it's, uh, it's a thing that you would have in those type of series, but it's a kind of a new thing to at least modern Doctor Who to kind of have that. I don't think it's a weakness exactly, but it is something I was thinking about.
0: Well, it's you know it's interesting because before um, we'd seen any of flux, we talked about how it, it was Doctor Who is now being made like how most other TV <laughs> is being made, and I think you referenced Line of Duty at the time and said you know you, you, you watch it kind of you know you watch the story unfold um, on on a weekly basis, it's a serialized story, and now we're reviewing Doctor Who like you would review any other show, like yeah, of course you would review individual episodes of of a different show, but really you only get the sense of like how strong a series was. Um by the end of it, which which might sound fairly obvious, but like that's that's all the more true um, with, with something like, like Flux. And I think the way in which you uh think about the series does really impact how you feel about the individual episodes as well. Mm. So for me, like Halloween Apocalypse, The Vanquishers, I don't I, like they're not, as like you say, they're not episodes necessarily I would go back and just watch. I wouldn't be like, I'm gonna stick on The Vanquishers, but As the final chapter of Flux, it it works. So it's not the most, it's not the best episode of the series. It's not the most satisfying episode of the series. Um, But it it works as the the final chapter in that larger story.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, you've also got to say, this was not just a purely creative choice; this was a means to an end this serialization mm-hmm. because Doctor Who had this you know issue it was facing, and you know the what's the alternate version of series thirteen isn't just a normal ten episode or even reduced episode you know series it's like a series that is notably limited and I'd say to be honest, occasionally you notice a bit more green screen, right, but for the most part. I don't think you could really tell this was a pandemic show. Do you know what I mean? Like, it no. seemed pretty... Like, I didn't think about it at all while I was watching it. Like, they, they hid the joints very well. Someone messaged me um, to sort of... Uh, someone I talk about Doctor Who with who was just sort of saying, like he couldn't get out of his head that he could see they were always in small groups filming, right. which I hadn't really clocked because I guess that's just what TV shows are like. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, you know, but so definitely there were like clever tricks going on. And I think actually, weirdly, that's where Chris Chibnall came into his own because one of the things, I think now we're kind of getting towards the end of Chris Chibnall's tenure. I think one of the things I could definitely say is that his legacy is that he is the great organiser of things. Like <laughs> yeah. when they were going abroad and stuff, he kind of maximised... Those shoots, like, you know, South Africa was in this episode and then they did a bunch of episodes somewhere else, but it was also in this episode. They used this location here and that location there. Like, they kind of just absolutely rinsed every last detail that they could out of the things they did. And then in the case of this one, like, I think the way he was able to put the series together and tell the story in such a way that kind of, if anything, leaned into the the obstacles they faced mm. i think is really really impressive look i'm not saying it was without its faults as i said in my mm. review it's like a lot of the sort of familiar faults that we've had in the series in this era were there you know the doctor is a bit less clear as a figure although i think jodie whittaker mm. definitely was a bit more proactive this series you know characters are created and then kind of dropped like toys that they're bored with now like for example mm. you know yaz and dan had a great early start to the series and i still really like them but you know what did yaz and dan do in the last what two episodes mm. they had a bit to do in four they had a bit of a storyline then in five they're walking around trying to find the date of an apocalypse that i don't think was even that even mattered in the end no i, I don't know why no. they were, like what were they doing and then in the final one they just sort of around they 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 h- hang out with the doctor while she's threatening us on Taran, uh, yeah, and not much else really. And then you have you know like Bell who you know turns up in that sort of quite cool subplot in episode three, um, and then she's quite endearing. And then at the end she just sort of finds the Vinda, and then that's the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it just sort of it's like they kind we, of get bored.
0: Yeah, we, we talked about it last week. how There's a lot of characters just standing around not contributing a lot, in especially in uh, in, in the Vanquishers, um, and. Yeah, and and it's a shame because it's not the fault of of the characters necessarily, or of, of or you know of the performers rather. Um, but there's just a lot of great characters who aren't given that much to do. But I think going back to what you were saying about COVID, and could, could you notice that this is being produced under COVID conditions? Um, I didn't really think about it at all because yes, Flux was a slightly different it adopted a slightly different format to the doctor who we're used to but actually doctor who's done that before right if uh famously in the stephen moffat era he would always make a point of saying or oh, this series is all you know one-offs and it's all block they blockbuster movies and this one's all two-parters and so it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like totally wild for doctor who to do something like this even without having those covid restrictions imposed upon it so
1: yeah, exactly. I know what you mean. It, it it sort of feels like they could have done this anyway, although they yeah. did do it for a specific reason. I'd say, though, you know, it it kind of plays to chris chibnall's strengths as a writer because we kind of i've always thought especially in the last series in series 12 his best doctor who is when there's a mystery there's some sort of like big moment there's like serialized cliffhangers and stuff Mm. like i actually you know like Spyfall part one that great cliffhanger with the master obviously the fugitive doctor that whole episode was brilliant uh fugitive of the dune and then you know to be honest, I know the Timeless Children was controversial, but I do think the kind of Villa of Deodarte to Ascension of a Cybermen little portion of series twelve is really good. Mm. And then, you know, obviously with things like Broadchurch, we've seen how he can kind of tell these stories, you know, pretty pretty traditional in their way, but in a way that's very compelling and kind of really grips people. And I think the structure of Doctor Who Flux allowed him to do that. And I kind of, you know, I kind of didn't, I sort of even got used to it. I sort of forgot that Doctor Who was ever not this way, Mm. if you know what I mean. Like, as in it was just like a normal TV show where you kind of just go from place to place to place. And I think it worked. It worked really well. It was, I think, actually, as much as I was saying there's some familiar issues, I also think that the format of this kind of helped with those because, you know, not everything had to be its own self-contained story. You had these characters from weeks to week. So, you know, in something like Orphan 55, you introduce a load of characters, like, you know, like five guest characters or whatever. You barely have time mm. to develop them and then they're gone. In this, you know, maybe you do introduce a lot of characters in episode four or episode three or whatever, but then they do come back because that's the way this series works. So actually you kind of don't feel like they're as underdeveloped because they, you know, just by sheer time, they have to keep yeah. coming back.
0: Yeah, I mean, there were certainly points, like I said, in in the last episode where you feel like characters weren't given enough to do, mm. but, it, but I wouldn't say that you felt like the characters were underdeveloped, like you certainly felt like you knew who those people were, and a lot of that is down to some really charismatic performances from the likes of uh, Jacob Anderson and Thaddeus Graham, but a lot of it is down to the writing as well, and the fact that they were given time to really, you know, you really got to, you, you felt like you knew bell you felt like you knew vinder you felt like you knew jericho or claire um so yeah no i, th- I think you're right i think it really um plays to to chibnall's strengths as a writer and i also think there's things that you know have come out of this 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 serialized structure um the way flux told its story that worked really well and i would be more than happy to see doctor who um hold on to in in the future i mean we've talked about this before but i think i, I you know the the, the question of Um, when Doctor Who came back in 2005, and it was mostly um, one-off episodes, the occasional two-parter, The Thing You Lost, which was a classic um, trope of Doctor Who, was the cliffhanger. And this series has had some... You know, it's had cliffhangers from episode to episode and they've been fantastic. And I think even if you went back to a more episodic structure, I really love the idea of having um, cliffhangers that lead you into the next episode. So like the start of series 10, um, Peter Capaldi's final series, had a little bit of that where the episodes, you know, um, the pilot and smile and then thin ice, um, they weren't, it wasn't telling one story as such but it kind of was because it was it was sort of bills early adventures with the mm. doctor um and i think it's at the end of um smile where they they land in their next destination and it's the the frost fair and I think there's like a an elephant. It, yeah there's right there's, there's an elephant comes out of the mist and it's like and then it's like it's just like so, yeah, I love that and it's just like you go wow what's you know I have to tune in next week to find out what what's gonna happen next um and and I don't see why that device couldn't stick around post flux
1: yeah, I think you're right I think that there's a version of this series you know where you could have the doctor kind of dealing with something but then she gets sidetracked but she gets dumped in you know the Crimean War. There's this other thing going on. She deals with that in the episode and then at the end picks up the kind of thread of the arc again. Do you know what I mean? Which is Mm. kind of what happened in this, but it was a bit more interwoven. You know what I mean? Like Mm. Dan got zapped back to Liverpool uh, for some reason (laughs) in that episode and Yaz went to the Temple of Atropos. You know, there were sort of extra things going on. If you could have left those bits and kind of had that episode as was and it still would have worked on its own terms and as part of a whole. And I think it makes the series exciting. You know, I think there was loads of speculation, loads of theories, which I think is really fun. That's kind of the lifeblood of any kind of sci-fi you know, genre series these days is endless theories on Reddit and Twitter. And, you know, I think it's good. You want people to be talking about the show, right? As fans, we're sort of all very oddly protective of Doctor Who. And I think you kind of want it to be culturally relevant. And it feels like mm. it was this series. Like, it feels like people talked about a lot. I do feel like actually the conversation about it dropped off a bit around episode five, I think because a lot of the mysteries got solved and then it was kind of just setting up for the finale, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I feel like there wasn't much to talk about in terms of, oh, what does this mean? We kind of knew because we met Tecteo and all that stuff. But yeah, I still feel like, I feel like it was also a pretty consistent series. Like episode four was definitely like a big step up. Like I'd argue the way that you know, Claire and Jericho are in that episode, in that one episode is better than, you know, Jericho is in the next two spread out. Yeah. If you know what yeah. I mean. Like, like he had more of a little character in the few scenes, he, well, not few, but, you know, in the scenes in that episode than he does in the next two, which is quite interesting. But I'd say generally speaking, you know, all of the other episodes are quite, like, consistent. Do you know what I mean? Like, they sort of mm. feel like they're part of the same thing and they feel of a similar quality. Like, there's maybe sort of tip-ups and tip-downs.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it feels, everyone, like pretty solid. Yeah, now everyone's going to have their favourites, right? But you know, um, what's your favourite series that, that Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall have made um, of Doctor Who? But I think for me, this is definitely the most consistent, right? Like, because th- there, there were more extreme highs and lows. I think in both Series Eleven and Series Twelve, there was an interesting um, Twitter uh, poll, I guess, that was, that was going around recently, and it was saying, "Well, now that Flux is over, what's your favourite series?" from each modern doctor not counting nine mm. obviously because he only had one series and i was like well 11 it's definitely five for me um i skipped one, 10 it was three um, yeah. 12 12 12 was 10 um but then it was like i was trying to think what's my favorite jodie whittaker series so far and i i was th- looking back thinking i do really like 12 there's some really strong parts of 12 but then i was like ah yeah there is also orphan 55 so <laughs> so and i th- i think it, it, flux is yeah it it you know, consistency might sound like a sort of unsexy word, but I think it was definitely like the strongest series they've produced in the sense of not every episode was as as, as good as Village of the Angels, but there were no real, for I mean, no real lowlights. I think mm. Halloween Apocalypse was probably for me the one I enjoyed least on, as I say, on first watch. But even now in retrospect, like that works better as part of a whole. Um, I don't think there were any sort of bad episodes. There were just ones that I found less satisfying than others.
1: Yeah, I kind of know what you mean. I I think for me, it was Survivors of the Flux was the one that I liked mm. the least. But there's bits of that that I liked. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. there was nothing irredeemable. I mean, partly the, the strength of the Flux format is that there's... Even if you don't like one part of the episode, there's a load of other things going on that you can kind yeah, of so, yeah. pick up with. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I think it's it's probably... It's, it's a funny one for me because I really did actually enjoy the experience of series 12, but it does end on a bit of a low, low note, which mm-hmm. does sort of color your experience of the rest of it. I think probably this feels like, I think I said in my review, this is probably objectively the best series that Chris Chibnall and Jodie Whittaker have done as mm-hmm. a whole. It does not have the best episodes in it.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's I, I more think than that's some
1: it. of its parts, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's it for me. Is, yeah, this is the sort of the, the, the most solid series, the strongest series, the most consistent series. But I think I, there were parts of Series 12 that I liked more. Like when I think about um, the return of the Master in Skyfall, when I think about the the reveal of the Fugitive Doctor, when I think about the, the haunting of Villa Diodati, just all of it, <laughs> I like, uh, yeah. So the, yeah, it probably had to, but you know, the highlights were higher, <laughs> but um but i feel like this is like stronger overall and yeah and, and more consistent um definitely i think the other thing that's worth talking about with flux as well is yeah um it's really hard to come up with a, a great doctor who monster or great doctor who villain and and yes people can say oh well, you've got the daleks and the cybermen and the ice warriors and you know S- and sontarans but actually those those creatures were invented over the space of like years right and, and decades um chris chibnall's had had two series prior to this and yeah okay maybe he's not created any monsters as iconic as as uh the daleks or the cybermen but like that that's that's hard given mm. you know what like you know tw- 20 plus episodes um but i think you know, po- sort of his legacy, if you like, or part of his legacy will be um Swarm and Azure, are characters mm. that fans fans will remember. Um I, I just yeah, maybe I get maybe that's the serialized storytelling as well. I feel like carvenista not a villain, but just like a really memorable supporting character, Vinder. And then on the on the bad guy side of things, I think Swarm and Azure, these are characters that fans will will remember and will potentially like in future say, ah, oh, bring back those characters. They they were great. Um, you just have these, these standout figures in a, in a way that you maybe didn't have um, other than, you know, obviously you have Sasha Dwan as the master and you have Joe Martin as the fugitive doctor, but that's sort of, even though those interpretations of those characters are amazing, yeah. it's still building on a past success. Whereas like in terms of truly, like purely original creations, I feel like Flux was more successful. Jericho, again, was more successful um, there than, than Doctor Who has been in its previous two series. No, I think
1: that's true. I think that, as you say, those... I think someone, as you immediately felt like they made quite an impact. I do feel like the way they went out was a bit of a cop-out. It was a bit yeah. too easy. And I think they kind of... I think mean, the height of them was episode three, and then they kind of declined a bit after that in terms of kind of yeah. menace. Because there were Weeping Angels to deal with, and, you know, Tek and the Grand Serpent turned up, you know, um, who I... I was quite interested, and then he kind of didn't do very much, really. Um, so yeah. yeah, who knows? Maybe they'll bring him back. Um, but one villain too many, perhaps. But but, yeah, but also in the classic Spider-Man movie sense, you know, <laughs> where if you yeah. get three, it's like oh dear.
0: <laughs> yeah, but but also yeah, I think you're right. I watched once upon uh, once upon time, and and Swarm and Azure were depicted as being so powerful, and I was like, well, how can anyone ever possibly stop them? And it's like, oh, okay, something even more powerful just turns up and clicks its fingers, and they they're gone. Yeah. Um, and you know, I also think potentially um, Swarm's backstory was slightly needlessly convoluted. The whole, I don't, I don't think he needed old Swarm. I feel. And like that, yeah. that, that kind of like was, a, was a need, was a needless complication. And then he regenerated, but that didn't really go anywhere. I guess that was maybe just to show that he was sort of, well, actually I don't know what that was for. <laughs> what was, <laughs> no, what was I the point thinking of that? about it? Because <laughs> we were speculating, oh well, regeneration actually doesn't come from the Time Lords, it comes from the Doctor's race, so maybe Swarm is connected to the Doctor's race. But yeah, I don't feel I feel like that was a needless um sort of wrinkle that didn't didn't need to be there and sort of diluted the character slightly because there were two different versions. Um but but the but overall I thought it was a really strong character and fantastic performances from uh Sam Sproul and Roshenda Sandal, who I sort of I kept know, she's a very familiar face. She's in you know Line of Duty and and, and criminal and small acts and all these shows. and I've seen her in all these shows. And obviously she looks very different because of the makeup, but I kept forgetting it was her. Yeah, definitely. And and I think I think that's a real sort of testament to her, her performance that it was kind of unlike anything I'd ever seen her do before and she was brilliant.
1: Yeah, she was really good. I mean, I I would like to see more of them. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um but I mean they were sort of destroyed. But you know, who knows with Doctor Who?
0: Anyone can come back. Any How many any point times has the master died i mean come on you can you can bring him back if you want to
1: yeah i think it's fine um but yeah no i think they were really good i think it's been a really solid cast this year actually like i think mm. even you know like blake harrison in his tiny little part in episodes uh three and four you know he actually does a really nice job do you know what i mean even mm. down to that and then you have like you know um Uh, Sarah Powell, who was Mary Seacole, is only in that one episode, but she does a really nice job. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I assumed she was going to come back, but she didn't, you know, but she's the one person who was just in the one episode, I think. Uh, Pretty much the only character. And then you have people like, you know, um, Kate Stewart coming back, which is a nice thing for fans. And Joe Martin obviously had her cameo as um, the Fugitive Doctor. Like, it was just a really strong cast. And you kind of, I liked that it was more of an ensemble this year. It wasn't just that, you know there's a large TARDIS team, which there usually is anyway in this era of mm. Doctor Who. It was also like you had sort of like sort of companions like Jericho and, you know, Claire knocking about and, you know, Kate Stewart comes in and Joseph Williamson's there. You know, I kind of liked the sprawl of it, even though it was kind of a slightly artificial sprawl, it was still there and because they couldn't actually go that big. Um, yeah, I was, I was you know, I was really pleased with that. And I think, you know, they they cast really good actors. I mean, they usually do, but I think they did a really solid job um one thing i will say oh no you're you going to say something
0: no i was just going to say i think i think if anything you had sort of had like an embarrassment of riches where mm. you did like you had so many good characters and so many good actors that actually they didn't like i said before they didn't all get their dues in in the finale because you yeah had, you had like uh kevin mcnally who didn't get as much to do in the in the second uh you know in episodes five and six and then like craig parkinson who was great but maybe didn't get as much to do as you would have liked and um even the character of of, of claire annabelle uh, Shirley didn't get as much to do later on and but all all fantastic all great characters great performers it's just a shame that there wasn't there wasn't even more time um to be spent with them yeah i think that is a classic kind of you know
1: Thing from this era of like having a lot of extra characters who don't have much time to do stuff, and if they do have time to do stuff, sidelining the regular companions. Mm. Like I say, I always think of Orphan Fifty Five is the sort of best example of it in that they introduce like a massive cast in that episode of, of guest stars, and you barely you know get to meet any of them, and. You know, there's I mean, you've also got three regular companions. You have the same thing like the Witchfinders, where they introduce like you know, there's this person, and then there's also this young girl, and you know, like, mm. there's and then King James is there. It's sort of when you already have a TARDIS team that's bigger than just one Doctor, one companion. The more additional characters you add, the more difficult it is. And I think, as we've said, the flux structure helps with that a lot because you can kind of spread things out a bit longer. But um, yeah, it was still something I noticed. Equally though, you know, I think there was something where you kind of can also look at, I was thinking actually similarly in um, Haunting of Villa Diodati last series with um, Ashad, the lone Cyberman was so good mm. in that episode. And then he's yeah. not great in the next two, like he's much more kind of generic. And I think mm. it was similar with like, say, you know, Jericho. So, so good in uh village of the angels but you know, not quite as he was definitely the same character, but they just didn't seem to have as much of a role for him in the. He followers. wasn't the focus in the same way, much like
0: yeah, much like um, Villa Daidati, yeah,
1: yeah. So I think maybe you know, props to Maxine Alderton, who was able to create very compelling characters in quite a short space of time. I mean, she did quite a nice job with the. Um, with the literary set in, uh do mm. that as well. Although this isn't a series twelve review, so I won't go <laughs> too much about that. We
0: won't talk any more about Orphan Fifty Five. Well, yeah, it's come up a lot. <laughs> talking about talking about the, um, the the TARDIS team, though. I like. Uh, yeah, okay. Sometimes like Yaz and Dan got sidelined. Sometimes the series serve them better than other times. But I I just have really taken to that 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 TARDIS mm. team that trio. I really like. I think it's the. I mean there's only been sort of two versions there's been the fam and then there's been the Dr Yaz and Dan but I just like I think it works so 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 well because uh, we've talked about this before but the way that um Yaz now being the more seasoned traveler it gives her a, a different um she she you know she she operates on a different level to Dan um I think John Bishop has just been like great in this series and and I think yeah you know, the series is really depend i don't know where it's going but the series is definitely like leaning into the doctor and yaz's relationship you know in a way that it wasn't before it's like i get what their relationship is now and i did i didn't always it seemed to kind of flip from week to week as to what what their deal was um but now like there's a clear kind of through line in um in, in flux right where the doctor is hiding secrets from yaz and and they're kind of not being totally honest with each other but they kind of in whatever way you want to think about it they love each other but they're not being like totally honest and so like it has a I just feel like it works really well and also I don't know if it, this has an impact on it but um those uh those little skits that the uh the, the Doctor Who uh official accounts have been putting out of of them oh, yeah. kind of just palling around and working together like I think I feel like that actually like positively impacted how much I was enjoying Flux because it it really made me kind of like warm to them as a as a trio and then that made me enjoy the show more so I think the evil Dan videos helped me I evil, an evil dad it really helped me yeah 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 so, so thank you uh doctor who poop um for that if you don't know what we're talking about you feel like we're just saying saying words um but it's 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 an excellent uh little uh social account and, and youtube series that you should check out but um yeah yeah
1: yeah watch some videos take a couple of those for tonight and uh <laughs> enjoy that um yeah no I, I think you're right i think it's interesting because they did those same kind of social videos for the last uh Mm -hmm. era as well and they were fun and they did go but i think i think even just removing that one character kind of focuses it a bit and you're right with the yaz role it just fits better than the kind of Mm -hmm. his three new people who have slightly different personalities but i feel like ryan and graham had more sort of defined roles in that ryan was sort of the younger guy he had his issues with dyspraxia um and you know he kind of was always just didn't really seem to want to be there um, and graham was sort of you know just sort of a bradley walsh type um, yeah. and then and then Yaz was kind of they were kind of ryan i think got more of the emotional stuff especially early on and graham obviously had that too with um you know with his uh, dead wife uh, whose name mm-hmm. i've forgotten uh, sharon d clark's character grace that was it um and then also his you know his cancer and just his general kind of befuddlement about where they were going that he had quite a lot to work with i feel like Mandit gill kind of had a slightly thankless role as yaz who was just like sort of into it you know she's quite mm. enjoyed traveling it was quite <laughs> enthusiastic yeah. that was kind of a character yeah. whereas in this they kind of i think something that came out of the performances between Mandit gill and jodie Whisker was this sort of they're obviously very very close in real life very friendly and i think mm. that they were able to kind of bring the I think, not if it was always text, but Yaz kind of loving the Doctor romantically or, you know, as a friend, was something that fans read into, even mm. back in Series 11, where it's not that clear, but Series 12, definitely it becomes more clear, and in Revolution of the Daleks and stuff. Mm. And this series, it felt the most overt, that the dynamic that fans had kind of projected onto them became part of the series, where Yaz kind of, you know, wants more from the Doctor one way or the other, and the Doctor's kind of keeping her at arm's length. And mm. I think that's quite interesting. And I think that kind of also then puts her in the position of being, you know, closer to the Doctor, and also, as you say, being the seasoned traveller, and Dan getting to come in and be the new person. And it means that you don't have the same, exactly the same thing of, oh, I'm, you know, here's the new companion, we're starting from the bottom again, which does get a bit boring. But you also kind of don't just have the exact same thing as before. And I think, weirdly, we've sort of flirted in the series before with the idea of, you know, here's the more experienced companion, here's the new companion, and, you know, this person's shown the ropes. But I don't think it's ever really been done properly. Like, you've sort of had Mm -hmm. it for an episode or two, but then it's abandoned because, you know, somebody goes off to fight Cybermen, or, you know, someone gets kicked out of the TARDIS, or they're just like a one-off episode companion who then leaves. We've not actually had that before. And, you know, it's a little different because, obviously, with Flux, everyone was around all the time anyway. You know, Dan and Yaz were kind of off with somebody else. You know, I heard some people didn't realize that John Bishop was, say, a companion and, you know, Vinder wasn't. You know what I mean? Like, it's. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah so it's obviously, yeah. if you're like a, a regular viewer, you kind of get what the roles of companion are. I mean, we were discussing this in a previous episode of the podcast. But yeah. But I think it will be interesting as we go forward into obviously. Um, eve of the daleks and then the uh spring special um which i i mean i don't think it's been confirmed but john bishop is sticking around but i we might assume that he is i don't know um it'll be interesting to kind of see him you know be part of the landing party as it were for the TARDIS, mm. kind of coming into these places and looking around and also see if i dynamic changes because as dan's seen quite a lot now compared to most humans like he's probably mm. he's packed quite a lot in For a first-time companion, you know he's you know been on different planets. He's been in history. He's you know he lived for three years. I mean, he's actually technically been a Doctor Who companion for longer than you know Rose was.
0: (laughs) Well, this this is it. It's, It's yeah. From his, it's so interesting because from one perspective, he's only we've only seen him in one story. Mm. like that was that was his debut and yet from another from his perspective he's been the companion for years and yet was he even actually technically the companion until they invited him onto the TARDIS at the end of the Vanquishers or was he as, as you know we're getting back into this question of what what makes you a companion was he just sort of along for the ride up until that point and then when he makes the choice to leave rapport and travel with the Doctor and Yaz now he's a now he's a companion and it, that was just sort of a really long audition He was on probation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's passed his probationary period. And now he's officially rubber-stamped as a companion.
1: Yeah. No, but I think it's been an interesting dynamic. I think it's a funny one because it's hard to talk about them as companions. Because of, you know, some of the positive stuff we've talked about with characters coming back over and over again is that, you know, Yaz and Dan aren't unique in that they are in every episode with the Doctor. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of episodes, you know, where people cross over. Admittedly, they are the only people, I think, who are in every episode. Except maybe, I think Jacob Anderson is maybe in every Vinda's episode. Vinda's in every
0: episode, I he's think, He's just
1: yeah. in Village of the Angels for that little bit, isn't he? Yeah, the little, yeah he's he's only in the post-credits, I think. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, so he almost doesn't make it. But then, yeah, I think that's maybe why he ends up getting the slightly higher credit, actually, than the other guest stars. Because after watching the whole thing, I was a bit like, I thought Vinda was going to be more central, actually. Or, or I didn't think that everyone else would be in it as much, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Like, he actually well, he felt similar to, like... Jericho or um, Carvanista in terms of, but I think he's the only one apart from the main cast who is actually in every episode. So maybe that's why.
0: Well, the way they, the way they sold it was definitely that we have like John Bishop coming on as the new companion and then, jacob anderson is if not a new companion certainly the most notable and prominent supporting character now possibly that was just promoted in that way because jacob anderson is is well known he's mm. he's the guy from game of thrones they're like look we got this great guy he's going to be in Doctor Who. not this exciting so you know fair enough um but yeah you're right you know in, in how yes he's 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 in most of the episodes well he's in all of the episodes um but he's like you said, he doesn't feel necessarily more um and again not a slight on the character but he doesn't feel more central necessarily than bell or, 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 um, the, the, the Jericho is in the, in the final three. Um, he just he feels like one of many great supporting characters that sort of play out throughout the series.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, it, it definitely muddies the waters a little for our what is a companion, uh, discussion. Maybe we'll bring it back. Oh, wait, all of them. Let's just say they
0: all are like, you yeah. know, why not?
1: Even the Maka who never meets the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my few little uh behind the scenes spoilers which i Judy whittaker told me when i interviewed her that she never actually got to film anything with blake harrison so i had to uh sit on that exciting detail just in case that was a spoiler and it wasn't really but um but there you go little inside the inside the music moment there um one thing i will also say we should talk moving on from the characters slightly um, while we have time I think we should also talk a bit about the actual story and how clear everything was. Because I don't know if you saw this, but there was this um, thread that I saw making around where someone kind of explained what had happened in the plot. And I genuinely Mm. was reading it thinking, I didn't pick up on a lot of this stuff. (laughs) And I watch it pretty closely because I have to write articles Mm. about it and, you know, we do this podcast. So, you know, I'm not there with my phone out, you know. And it was saying, like, basically, Swarm and Azzia were angry because... The division or time lords or whatever built the temple of Atropos to cage the god they worshipped, time, the personification of time, and this all happened in the dark times. And that's what they were talking about when they were like, right. oh, time cannot be caged or whatever. And that's what kind of started this whole thing off.
0: I, I feel like we're pulling a dangerous thread here, where we're going to say <laughs> I didn't pick up on any of this, and everyone listening is going to be like, well, I did, and you're idiots. But like, I did, I didn't get that the time lords built the temple of Atropos and what the division did or somebody. Yeah, I or, don't know. Uh, yeah yeah it's you know there's a there's a lot going on it is it <laughs> <laughs> no but it is i I think i think in all seriousness the fact that this series you know it was so um frantic and frenetic in some ways it's, it's great because it you know i think you've said before that you quite like that because it kind of carries you through the story and you're never you're never bored um but then it does mean that sometimes details get lost and like those there's, there's there's a lot to take in there's a lot of Information to, to take take in. There's a lot of characters, um, a lot of a lot of backstory. Um, yeah, so I I do think that's that's the thing. I think I think details can get lost. So you can kind of come away from uh flux having felt like you enjoyed it or you didn't or you enjoyed it less or more. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel like that one of its um one of its potentially one of its flaws potentially is that it at points it was a little too too frenetic and it got a little bit garbled for me at it at its at its worst it was kind of information overload
1: i know what you mean like if you i'll just i just suddenly remembered the maury do you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. i mean what was going on with that yeah. like i don't know what that yeah. was about I, like i mean again people will listening will probably have picked it up but i think you know there's there, there's something there though like you can blame the viewer myself and yourself to an extent but also you know if you're not making things clear enough for people to understand that's Uh, for everyone to understand, then that's, you know, that's okay. But you kind of have to think, what's the kind of trade-off on this? Because, you know, are Mm -hmm. they people who aren't paying attention and, you know, wouldn't really, you know, pick up on everything anyway? It doesn't matter, then fine. Or are they people who, you know, would normally follow every twist and turn of a Doctor Who story who are still going a bit like, wait, what was that about? and mm-hmm. you know is that more of an issue i think it's fine like i think it all kind of comes together in the end there was obviously these things people were talking about where you know 90 percent of the universe was destroyed and it's still presented as a victory and it's not like it was sort of implied that they could undo the flux so i was like okay mm-hmm. so at some point they'll do that because they said oh if it's been you know it can the I mean, doctor says this in episode five and then swarm does this whole thing about oh i'm gonna do it over and over again so i'm like okay so you can reverse it and then they just don't <laughs> so <laughs> that's a bit strange um or maybe it was too far off um, Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of like, okay, that's fine. And then it's a little bit like, you know, with the division where all the other people in the division was that, was it just that one woman, even though we saw several other people, I mean, it was like, it's one woman, um, a dog guy who's retired and like a million weeping angels and that's it. And then these two other people, these two other humanoids and Gat from the last series. (laughs) Like it's very, it's very mysterious staffing level. And you have things like, you know, I can't. I can't quite work out why the Sontarans were getting psychic humans and then why yeah, like
0: well, that was a bit weird. <laughs> I, I feel like it's, it's like I was saying about the characters and it's like um, these are all interesting characters, quite well-developed characters, given the short sort of amount of screen time, brilliant performers, brill- brilliant performances, um, but there's just not enough time to do them all justice. And I kind of mm. feel like that's the same with the, like there's too many good ideas. In, in flux like rarely did i watch um you know at any point in this this, this six parter and go oh that's that doesn't work or that's that's a hmm. ba- you know that's a dumb idea that's nonsense it was just i didn't quite grasp it because there was so much going on like the, like the mori is an interesting idea um the temple of Atropos, time being um uh, uh, a sentient being is just kind and of also like also a planet <laughs> time is a yeah time is a planet and a sentient being like it's all it's all like like ego the living planet from marvel comics like it's Mm. all it's all kind of thrown in there and then none of them are like they're all good ideas all interesting ideas um but there's so many of them that you don't get time to kind of sit with any of them and and that's why i think it becomes a bit you know so i enjoyed it but you you just like i wish i could spend a little bit more time with that even now like you know, we said we said that the, the the benefit of having the serialized story is that you get to spend more time with a character or with an idea. And yet and yet and, and you do, but then I think the you know the, the show has kind of like multiplied the characters and multiplied the ideas so that it's still not quite as it's you know, like I say, it's still you still don't sit quite long enough with certain characters or with or with certain ideas. Yeah, I know
1: what you mean. And I think I, you know, it's it's our last actually. It's weird to think it's our last series with Jodie Whittaker and obviously with Chris mm. Chibnall. Um, I do feel like they've gone out on a high. Oh yeah. Um, I think it's definitely been a good one for them, and I think it kind of showed off what they could both do individually. I did, I'm interested to see how things go now, because obviously we've got three specials, one quite soon and then two more a bit further on the road. And they're obviously not going to be able to have this kind of serialization at all. They are just going to be kind of standalone. But maybe people yeah. won't mind because they'll be a bit longer and they will have, you know, they are standalone specials. That's what they're for. Um but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm intrigued to see because part of me is now like, God, maybe they should have ended here, <laughs> like because this was good and you know people enjoyed it, and now it's kind of like you know the momentum's obviously going to drop when you're splitting things up into specials. I I never <laughs> felt that David Tennant should have had. I felt like you know his his sort of weird long lap of honour kind mm. of killed the momentum a little bit and then it kind of felt a bit odd for him to leave
0: I thought at the time, so I don't know. I, I will say that's such a classic Doctor Who response where you're like, I really enjoyed that but I'm already worried that the next lot will be bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's such a... But no, I, I, know, I, know, I know what you mean, it's like that, you know that, that was a really strong series um, and it has kind of built up this momentum and then, you know, we've, it's been we kind of guessed that this would be the case but Chris Chibnall has said that he of the Daleks is pretty much standalone. There might be a few references here and there, as is the case of the festive specials. We don't, re- as we said, we know what the um the centenary special is g- is going to be to some degree. You know, it's you know, the, the the doctor's the 13th doctor's final adventure and the regeneration. It's that spring special that's the mm. one that's the the rogue element in where you just don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna fit in. And I think we said last week that it's too far away from the centenary to really serve as like part one of a two-part story that doesn't quite work so is it just going to be you know another fun run around and they and they save all the kind of dramatic payoff of the era for the centenary special or is it gonna is it gonna touch on some of the unresolved plot threads from flux or is it gonna in some way set up the centenary i think that's 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 the one with the big question mark over it. i think
1: so one thing i i have heard a rumor about the spring special. I uh, don't know if this is true, but um, there's been a few things kicking around that it might be uh, a pirate story, um, which feels quite sort of spring bank holiday kind of, yeah. you know, e. but um, I think specifically a Chinese pirate story just to kind of ah. differentiate So as in like, you know, dealing with Chinese piracy uh, historically. Um, so I my prediction is that it will be a standalone sort of romp with lots of sort of fun stuff and john bishop wearing funny clothes and going ah well he fights people and then at the end there'll be a magic old lady who goes like oh doctor yeah. your time is coming to an end and the doctor yeah. goes no i'm not ready you know and then like <laughs> and then there's like a, an nude there being like ooh and then yeah. it'll be like the doctor will return in you know yeah the doctor dies for real this
0: time <laughs> i'd love it if it's called the doctor dies um yeah. so so it's, it's going to be planet of the dead basically is what you're saying I, that's what it feels like because that was an easter yeah. one
1: ahead of um well we had another one in between is a bit is the difference and i mm. feel like waters of mars kind of had the magic good at the end it, it didn't have the yeah. magic psychic but waters of mars was kind of as a mood piece closer to end of time in terms of it was a bit darker even though it didn't have plot related to it if you know yeah. what i mean
0: but but also like I was saying just then about you know it's too, there's too big a gap between the spring special and uh, the centenary for it to be part one of a two part story. Um, Planet of the Dead was allowed to be standalone because it aired in that Easter slot, and then um, Waters of Mars aired way closer to yeah. uh, to the end of time, so it could be it, it 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 could be more of a piece with the end of time, and it basically it ends on a cliffhanger that directly sets up the end of time, so that works. Whereas this is this is kind of missing a piece, so it'll, there's fewer specials. So it'll be interesting to see how that works.
1: It definitely will. Um, so yeah, we but we will you know hopefully we will be back on radiotimes.com talking about all those specials as and when they happen, um, and in the build up, obviously we'll be speculating often fruitlessly uh, about what's coming up. <laughs> Um, but that's pretty much all we have from our review of Series 13, a.k.a. Doctor Who Flux. Um, you Please let us know what you thought. Some of you already have. Um, we've written an article on RealTimes.com about that. You can see our Series 13 review on site as well, and you know lots of other fun stories and interviews and so on. Um, but before we go, uh, we have time for something a bit festive, because we're a little way into December now. Uh, we're heading towards Christmas, And, you know, we we might not have another episode before Christmas, so we'll do it now. It's time for our festive, controversial question of the week. Controversial question of the week. Thank you uh, for that. Not particularly festive jingle, but it's still (laughs) still there. Um, Yeah, this week we are asking, I think possibly... In my experience, one of the most controversial Doctor Who questions, um, Mm. which is, were they right to scrap the Doctor Who Christmas special? So there's a little bit of history to this, which is that I wrote a piece uh, a few years ago, basically saying they were because because the festive specials, well, the Christmas specials weren't actually very good, and I got a lot of blowback for that. People were very angry at me, Um, and so it's made me think about it a bit more. I guess my argument at the time was, I do think there are good festive specials, but Having to do them every year on Christmas Day, mm. I think they started to struggle, especially in the sort of Stephen Moffat era, to kind of come up with something new to do, mm. because they kind of start to hit the same beats over and over again. There's something like Call the Midwife manages to do a Christmas special every year, partially, because I think it's just sort of, it's sort of driven by more human drama, and it's always going to be in the same location anyway, which I think... Especially in um, the Peter Capaldi episodes, they became less and less Christmassy, uh, and it was kind of a bit arbitrary. Uh, where but there was a tree, so, like I mean, the was it a return of Doctor Mysterio? Is I think the least mm. Christmassy Christmas. There's a Christmas tree at one point, and that's about it. Um, and there's you know there's one set in World War One. <laughs> so um, yeah, I guess you know we've talked about this before, Morgan. How the Doctor Who Christmas special is often the most embarrassing one for non-Doctor Who fans to watch. And that's invariably the one that you end up watching with your family. And they go, oh, this is what you do, is it? This is you. And you're like, no, no, no.
0: This is what you like, is it? Oh, no, no, it's nobody better than this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I was kind of like, all right with them not doing them for a bit. However, Mm. I do kind of miss them now. And I do think it's a shame that Jodie Whittaker didn't get her shot at one. I feel like it wasn't Mm. necessarily the wrong decision to not do them as default, because I Mm. think that can maybe be an issue. But I do feel like maybe every Doctor should get one at least yeah in this and, era,
0: and, and, you know this is yeah and this is not my observation but someone has said that i think a few people have said that like she is the most christmasy doctor of yeah. them all you know i mean she feels quite like festive and like she, you know you can imagine Tony whitaker with like a i don't know elf seers on or something just you know tin- tinsel just having a great time um do you know what i think it's it, it it's um it's two things for me so i kind of like a pro and a con and the pro of you know, having a Doctor Who Christmas special is. I quite like the prestige of it. I quite like. I quite like that it's on Christmas Day. To me, that feels like a bigger deal than being on on the New Year's Day. And I also mm. think, even even though sometimes it, it it might be slightly embarrassing to watch, you know, Doctor Widow in the wardrobe with your um, <laughs> with with your parents. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I feel like Doctor Who as a family show fits on. Um, on Christmas Day, when you are invariably sort of with your family, it fits better than New Year's Day, which, you know, New Year's Day drama I associate more with like, you know, um, a new thriller or something. You know, it's, it's when, it's when they show, you know, I know they're showing like Sherlock, but it's when they show, uh, The Serpent was the big one last year. And this year it's, um, The Tourist with Jamie Dornan. And I feel like those like big prestige mystery dramas are what should be on New Year's Day and Call the Midwife and Doctor Who that kind of like slightly, you know, not, I don't want to say like the comfort food of TV, but you know what I mean? It feels like it just, for me, it just fits better on Christmas day.
1: It's more of a family thing and more, a bit cosier. Like New Year's Day is kind cozy, of hangover, yeah. hangover depression day. Like you kind of <laughs> want to watch something dark about, you know, people investigating their dead wives or whatever. You yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. don't yeah. want to watch like a cheerful adventure while you're nursing a headache, basically.
0: No, no, yeah. Yeah, Doctor Who's too bright and colourful for a hangover. Definitely. But then, so, so, but having said that, I think you're right in that it kind of like you know it felt like they kind of exhausted every single mm. like twist that Doctor Who could do on Christmas and then when you shift it to but I mean you know I uh, arguably are we, uh, you'll get there with with you know I I don't think I think the th- maybe where they've missed a trick is that in removing Doctor Who, you know, when Doctor Who, if Doctor Who was on Christmas Day and the episode wasn't a bit Christmassy, that would feel weird. But I think you could have a Doctor Who episode like they did with, um, w- when they launched, uh, series 12, right? You can have a Doctor Who episode on New Year's Day that doesn't have to be about the fact that it's, and it, yeah. it, it, that always feels a bit odd to me that they're like, you're going, oh, we've, 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 we've traveled through time and been to loads of New Year's Eves. And it's like, why would you do that? New Year's Eve is rubbish. Um, <laughs> everyone says that right and, yeah I, I feel like having been untethered from christmas day doctor who could have just focused on making um yeah, a really you know big exciting special um and they didn't have to always hook it on on it being uh, a new year special because that's such a that's such a fuzzy thing anyway i don't know what that is like christmas is a very clear idea i don't really know what like what's a new year theme i get a fireworks yeah, but, i guess but you know
1: yeah they kind of tied it in a little bit in Resolution didn't they because they have fireworks and she says like here's my Resolution Dalek I'm going to blow yeah. you up or whatever it was but, um, and then and then two of the characters have been at New Year's Eve party but yeah yeah, I feel like Revolution of the Daleks Toasting Coal basically says Happy New Year Yaz and that's about it Like, and <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not even yeah. sure if it's like actually New Year's Day I think it's maybe supposed to be at some point in January and they haven't seen it yeah. whereas it's interesting that this special coming up is explicitly set on New Year's Eve mm. and they've said in Doctor Who Magazine Chris Chibnall has said like That is intentional in terms of like, it's part of what informs the mood of it is that New Year's Eve is a bit rubbish and you're never quite sure what you're supposed to be doing. And, you know, and it's obviously set a few minutes before um, midnight uh, on New Year's Eve. And then that's part of the story. I have seen a lot of people complaining, but it's on New Year's Day when it's set on New Year's Eve. Um, which is uh, it's, uh, but you couldn't put it on New Year's Eve who would watch that everyone's <laughs> but, but, out
0: <laughs> but yeah no, but also presumably at some point they will break out of the time loop and it'll end with them being like ah New Year's Day and it'll be a wonderful, yeah. wonderful. that's actually one of the be- one of the better ideas that's a really good idea for how you do it. you tell a, a, a time travel story a Doctor Who story on New Year's Eve that's you know Stephen Moffat once said that you know you've got a really good idea for a Doctor Who story when you think ah there goes that movie idea there goes that movie script and like mm-hmm. that's a that sounds like that could be a movie right whereas like someone's stuck reliving new year's eve over and over and over again definitely Um, yeah
1: i think i you know it's it's a bit like the palm springs thing being stuck at a wedding forever
0: yeah yeah but i but i think i I think any kind of um i guess concept that you impose on doctor who if it has to do it over and over and over again it'll eventually um get a little little tired but like i also think we probably had uh, you know a long enough break now from from the christmas specials that i'd be happy to see them them back again i feel like the trauma of the bad ones has receded far enough in in my memory and i do i do wonder as well like i i wrote something on radiotimes.com which was speculating whether or not doctor who could return to saturday nights uh, mm. which i can't remember if i've discussed that before on the podcast um because the B- bbc1 is airing superman and lois is on the, in the saturday night tea time slot at the moment which is this sort of family fantasy series and you know is that almost like a test and audition for doctor who returning saturday nights and so like is this you know i don't think russell t davies as we said before is just going to go back to what he did before he's you know he's smarter than that he's going to reinvent all over again but could we see it return to saturdays could we see the return of the doctor who christmas special could could we revisit some of those things that did work really well you know uh you know 15 16 years ago
1: yeah i'd be interested to see what happens with that and you know Russell Davis kind of invented the Doctor Who Christmas special. It wasn't yeah. really I mean, there was Feast of Stephen, but that wasn't really <laughs> Yeah. It didn't really exist in the form that we, you know, think of it now. So I could see him maybe wanting to kind of bring it back for that prestige. And, you know, it got some of its highest ratings ever on Christmas Day.
0: Exactly. I think I think he would be, you know, attracted to the prestige of it. You know, the fact that it's it's like the BBC's big Cause it was. It was like the gem of the it wasn't just on Christmas Day, it was like the the headliner it was like the yeah. gem of the, the of the christmas day schedule and i i don't feel like it kind of i feel like it's lost some of that a little bit by being on on new year's day i don't think anyone's yeah. you know no you know no one's yeah i, I feel like everyone's once talks about christmas tv people don't really talk about what's on 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 new year's day in the same way they like they do they're excited about the shows but it, it doesn't have that same um again like it doesn't have that same prestige around it
1: Although I suppose you could argue Russell T Davis also invented the New Year's Day special.
0: The, the End of Time Part 2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, true. Yeah, maybe he'll just go totally... I mean, what, what's left now? We've done it. We've got a, a Christmas special, a New Year's special, an Easter special, and te- we've had a Halloween episode. I yeah, mean, that's true. Yeah. Um, Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. Russell T. Davies is going gonna, is gonna to establish the, the Valentine's Day Doctor Who special.
1: Every year, for, 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 yeah. the, for the sad Doctor Who fans like us who don't go out on Valentine's Day just <laughs> sit in and watch Doctor Who.
0: Um, I'm now going to Google what the, the, the 14th of February, 2023, what day it is. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, check, yeah, I'll yeah, check yeah, it out. Yeah, see if it lines up. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, no, I, I think basically my answer to the sort of controversial question posed at the start is I don't actually think it was wrong to stop the Christmas specials mm. for a bit. I do think it's wrong to not bring them back if you know what I mean. Mm. I think maybe the answer is don't have it be a thing you have to do absolutely every year, but it should be a thing that you can do and maybe, you know, I do think it's a shame Jodie Whittaker won't get a shot at it, because as you say she Mm. is the most Christmassy Doctor and it feels like she might be, apart from Christopher Eccleston, although he technically had an episode set on Christmas Eve um, so technically, you could probably count that, um, although it was quite ghosty, um, I do feel like she's kind of the only modern Doctor apart from him to not get a shot at having these sort of big Christmas specials and, you know, mm. multiple ones like Peter Capaldi seemed to have loads. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, I,
0: cause, cause he didn't always have a series in between. So it just, yeah. it was just like, it was just like, here's another Peter Capaldi Christmas special. Did we just have one of those? Like, Oh no, that was a year ago. We just, yeah, there was no buffer.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and I do think it's a shame, you know, I think, I kind of was fine with her not doing it. And I liked the shift to New Year's Day. At least we still got the festive episode. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like they scrapped it entirely. And it did not mean you could kind of branch out in stories. But I feel like, you know, enough time had passed. We had a new, at the time, writer, show our own Chris Chibnall, a new doctor. You can find a new angle on it because of that. I think, but they didn't, and you know that's fine. You know, like maybe they just couldn't come up with a good enough idea. Maybe they just thought, you know, it's too much pressure.
0: And and you know, you know who knows how much of this is dictated by what the BBC wants? The BBC might True. say, look, we want Doctor Who to be part of of New Year's Day, and that's a really big important day for us, you know, for drama, and we and we want to move it. Like I think I think that you know that's a possibility as well. And maybe Chris Chibnall wanted to write a Doctor Who Christmas episode, but the the powers of B said, you know, why don't we try it on New Year's Day instead? So I think there's all kinds of factors that might have played into it yeah
1: and look we can just always rewatch the like 10 or so uh existing doctor who christmas i don't know there's 10 there's quite there's quite a few existing a Doctor Who christmas specials um and on a marathon just on our own and then we'd have to talk to any relatives uh, i mean maybe,
0: maybe maybe not all of them maybe just just we'll skip you know, one or two uh, just, skip just the, the Doctor's the widow in the wardrobe <laughs> yeah just the old favorites as uh as the curator said yeah um but, you know, that's what we'll be
1: doing at Christmas. I uh, don't know what you'll be doing, but uh, we know what we'll be doing on New Year's Day, which is getting back together to talk about Eve of the Daleks. be very exciting. Um, so, yeah, we will hopefully be back uh, with some more editions of this podcast to talk about the next festive special on New Year's Day, um, though the days that they are available might move around a little bit based on uh, embargoes and things like that. So uh, please do bear with us. Um, and keep an eye on Radio Time's Twitter account and um, on ACAST, the ACAST page we have for this podcast, to check when and where uh, the next edition will arrive. It's like the TARDIS. You never know where it's going to materialize, (laughs) or when probably is more relevant. Um, But until we chat to you again, uh, thanks very much for listening. Uh, I've been Hugh Fullerton. I've been Morgan Jeffrey. Uh, and we have managed to do this entire podcast without fluxing up and i think that's pretty impressive Uh, thanks for listening and goodbye thanks for listening to our doctor who podcast make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode and for more brilliant doctor who content check out radiotimes.com